Purpose, the reason for which something exists. Each one of our purposes were created long before anyone walked the earth. All of us hold it, yet sometimes we spend our whole lives searching for it. Our purpose is to glorify God in our mission, our relationships, and our legacy in Christ. Even in the midst of change, times of uncertainty, and times of joy. This is what it means to live life on purpose. Well, Mark Twain is famously quoted as saying that the two most important days in your life are, and some of you guys have heard this quote before, the two most important days in your life are what? The day you are born and the day that you find out why. Okay, so everybody here is already with us, so we're going to go ahead and skip the first one. So that one is already a foregone conclusion that God was in the midst of you coming into this world. I don't think that Mark Twain probably was trying to give us a sermon illustration with this quotation, nor was he really trying to give us probably anything of a spiritual nature. But the reality is that this quotation is filled with incredible biblical truth. Because see, Psalm 139, for example, says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that all of your days were ordained before a single one of them came to pass. So one of the most important days of your life was when God brought you into the world. However, this morning, we're going to set our sights on what it means to find out why. Why are we here? What is the purpose that God has us here for? What does Jesus desire to do in and through my life? I'm going to go ahead and eliminate a couple things for you because today's all about purpose. In fact, we're in this sermon series called Life on Purpose. Now, one of the things that I can eliminate for you is you are not here on this earth just to make money. Okay? Sometimes that's what you think. You're not here on this earth just because of a job. You're not here on this earth because of the role that you play in your family exclusively. Whatever the case might be, all of those things are fine and well. But at the core of why you are here, you are here because God has an incredible plan for your life. And he wants you to know him and he wants you to make him known to those that you come in contact with. In fact, if you were to fast forward a little bit, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul really frames for us very perfectly what it means to live a life of purpose. And we're going to do something this morning that we hardly ever do. We're going to read this passage together, okay? You guys ready for the group reading? Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I was like, it's on the screen. It's coming up right here in just a minute. Um, you guys haven't committed it to memory. That would have been bad, right? So Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Let's all read it together. However... I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. If you don't have a personal life mission statement, go ahead and take this one. Feel free to use this one. Feel free to kind of take this and just run with it because what Paul does here is he gives us a beautiful framework of what it means to live a life on purpose, that my aim, the goal of my life should be what? To finish the race and to complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. And what is that task? That task is to testify to the good news, the grace of Jesus Christ and how he has changed my life. I'm so thankful that you are here. And in fact, over the next few minutes, what we're going to do is unpack kind of five big ideas, five big kind of core principles about how to live a life on purpose. And when you hear these principles, some of them are going to be things that you're already doing, and you're like, Pastor, I get it, check. And then there's going to be some of them that might be an area of improvement. I, would, I think it's very safe to say, though, that everybody in the room, self-included, 
is probably going to have some room to grow in one of these five areas. So I want you to join me in praying that God would come and do what only he can do this place, in this place today as we open up his word and understand what it means to live a life on purpose. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for <clears throat> this beautiful morning of life. I thank you for this day, and I pray that the time that we spend together in your word would be encouraging, that you would equip us, and that you would ultimately give us a clear picture of what it means to live a life on purpose uh, for you and for you alone. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray and ask all these things. Amen and amen. Acts chapter 16 is where we're going. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Acts 16. You can access that through that Rolling Hills app, or maybe you have a mobile device. Uh, these words are also going to be up here on the screen for you, but we're going to start in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Now, the book of Acts, as we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, uh, beautifully parallels the, the story of Paul. And Paul has this encounter, a very dramatic encounter with Jesus, where Jesus reminds him that Paul's living for himself. And Jesus says, no, I have a better plan for you. I want you to live for me. In fact, I have set you apart to be a, 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 um, an apostle to the Gentiles, to go and take the message of Jesus and the grace and hope and forgiveness that's found in Christ to the entire world world. And so Paul is doing that. And he's building a team of people and he's planting churches and he has companions that he is working with. And Acts chapter 16 gives us another uh, really incredible snapshot into that story. So let's start in verse 1. So Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now, there may be a name that you recognize here. Anybody see the name Timothy? And maybe you've recognized the, the name Timothy before. Um, some of you are named Timothy, so you certainly are like, I see over here, I saw somebody elbowing, and I was like, his name is Timothy. So, um, so you like this character a lot, don't you? Uh, but the reality is that Timothy was a uh, kind of a mentee, if you will, of Paul. If you were to go home and Google or do it right now, biblical examples of investing in someone else's life or biblical examples of mentoring, you're probably going to see the first Google hit is going to be Paul and Timothy. And what Paul does here is on his journeys, he is building a team of people. And he sees something in Timothy. Now, Timothy had a Jewish mother. He had a Greek father. But Timothy was a man who was well-spoken of. He was well-spoken about. He had a lot of integrity. And what did Paul do? Paul gave him a more significant job. This is a beautiful leadership principle. What we should do as leaders, what we should do as Christian leaders, is we should find people, find people who have incredible skills and set their sights on something even more spiritual than they're currently living on. That's precisely what Paul was doing. He said, you're a good leader. God is using you, so come and join the team. It's our job as leaders. It's a job is to fulfill our, our, part of our job of fulfilling our purpose is to not go alone, to not go about this work alone, so much so that Paul involved him in the decision-making of the church. And what does it say in verse 5? The churches were strengthened in faith, and the numbers grew daily. So see, Paul and Timothy were a great team. And this uh, big idea, it's kind of big idea number one, if you will, about how to live a life on purpose. And you see it here on the screen. The more you spiritually invest in others, the more you likely are to understand your own purpose. Let me repeat that for you. The more you spiritually invest in others, 
the more likely you are to understand your own purpose. See, this is such a big deal. It's such a big deal. In fact, in the time that we're living, I think this is even more significant. I want you to go with me, if you can, back to pre-COVID. I know that for some of you, that, that seems like 150 years ago. You know, you were like, the pre-COVID, I was in elementary school. You know, or I wasn't even born yet. It seems like how, how, how kind of this season has been. But if you were to go back to those days, maybe in January or March of this year, you and I were undoubtedly pretty good at living isolated lives already. Let's just, let's just be real. We were, we were pretty good. We were pretty adept already at the buck stopping with us, you know, and we could kind of create our own plan, our own agenda. Um, maybe we didn't really need people. We didn't need deep, you know, relationships with others. Um, you know, we were kind of going about things our own way. And then all of a sudden, the world shuts down for a little bit, and now I would imagine that a lot of us are probably living more isolated now than we were in January, or we're living more isolated now than we were this time last year. And I encourage you to lean into this, because just because this season looks a little bit different does not mean that this should be a season that you should let off the gas in terms of relationships. This should not be a season where you say, you know what, I'm just going to completely go inside my shell and never be with anyone, whether that's in person or virtually or whatever the case might be. Because I want you to understand this principle. You will not understand the purpose that God has you here for, nor will you be able to fully live that out if you're trying to go all by yourself. Paul gave us an example of equipping Timothy, and together they strengthened the churches. I can read every book, for example, every book in the world, every manual. I could watch every YouTube video about how to change a tire. But how are you really going to know that I know how to change a tire? It's going to be when we're in the car together and there's a flat tire and you look at me and say, have you read the manual? Yes. Have you watched the YouTube videos? Yes. Perfect. I haven't. So can you get out and change the tire? That's going to be the one time that you actually know that this is not just head knowledge, but that I can actually put it into practice. See, when it comes to investing in someone else, that's the defining moment, that something is not just here in your head, but it has had an outpouring because you're helping someone else understand it. You're helping someone else, you know, be encouraged in that. Because what happens when we build relationships with other people, what do they do? They ask us questions. And when you ask me questions, what do I have to do? I have to rely on what God has taught me and how God has carried me through those seasons. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here with Timothy. He's given us an example that to live on purpose means that we have to live a life of being in relationship with other people. And we are in a season where you're going to have to work even harder to do that. And you're going to have to be even more intentional. And you're going to have to be even more creative <laughs> in ways to go about doing that. So I would just encourage you in this season to not let off the gas on that, but to just simply lean in because it is so crucial and so important. I'm so thankful for the examples that I've seen of that lived right here in the life of our church. I want to recognize this morning somebody in the room who is not only a dear friend, but a trusted colleague of, of me and many others here in our church. Robert Bowman is in the back, and he, I did this the first service, and he was up here, and then he moved all the way to the back. Um, but Robert Bowman is back there. Wave at us, Robert. I want you to give Robert a big, a big hand of applause. And some of you are like, 
who's Robert? Why are we acknowledging him? Robert is one of our ministry residents. He's a part of an amazing program that we have here at Rolling Hills called Leadership Pipeline. And it's for young leaders to come and to grow and to to be encouraged and to try things and to to take ministry responsibility and to to kind of be coached and those kinds of things. And Robert is an amazing man of God, and he has served so well and so faithfully here with family ministry. And, And I'm just so excited, and I'm grateful that as a church, we value and put um, resources behind equipping the next generation, the next generation of leaders. So much so, Robert is staying with us. You know, he's decided to, to kind of re-up his, uh, his ministry residence for another year. We won't see him as much here at Nolansville. He's going to be primarily transitioning down to our Franklin campus, but he has promised us that he will come back and see us. So we have said it publicly, so Robert, you're held accountable to that now. But I'm so grateful for people who invested in my life. When I was a young leader, and I'm assuming that you could attest the same, meaning don't let it stop with you. Find someone else that you can invest in because your purpose really begins to be fulfilled as you're doing that. Just by way of a little exercise, just by a show of hands, is there anybody in the room that would say, you know what, and I'm, I'm, you don't have to be humble, okay? You can, you, can, you can be honest with me this morning. Is there anybody in the room that would say, you know what, I would like to help somebody else out? I'd like to be able to give good advice and good counsel to someone else. Obviously, every hand is up. Thank you. Well, there's like one hand that wasn't up, and I'll talk to that guy later. But then, how about the flip side? Is there anybody in here that would like to be helped out, that would like someone to give them some counsel, to help you through some things? Yeah. So by your show of your hands, it's not that there's not a need. The need is here. The need is present. You said, yeah, I'd like to offer counsel to somebody else. I'd like to help someone else out. I also would like to receive that. So see, it's not that the need is absent. It's just that we haven't figured out the way to do that quite yet. Or maybe we need to do that more. And so I hope and pray that you'll find ways as a result of what we're talking about today to lean into those relationships because those relationships really help you fulfill your purpose. Let's keep going. Verse 6. So Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, what Paul and his companions are doing is they're trying to enter the cities of Mysia. They're trying to enter Bithynia. But what does the Spirit of the Lord do? The Spirit of the Lord prevents them from doing it. It stops them. It doesn't allow them to do that. So in verse 8, it says that Paul and his companions, they passed by Mysia and they went to Troas. Now, this is very interesting what the Spirit of the Lord does here because Paul and his team had come up with a plan. In fact, they had a strategy. I envision that they pulled out like a first century whiteboard or maybe it's a first century rock. And, you know, they're chiseling their strategic plan of what they're going to do. And part of their strategic plan was we're going to go to Mysia, we're going to go to Bithynia. Yet in the midst of that plan, God shows up by way of a wall, I guess. <laughs> Some kind of stop, you know, stop, you're not going the right way. 
The Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to go to Mijah. I want you to go on a different path, which sets up the second big idea. Something that you're going to have to be aware of if you want to live a life on purpose is that God can and will redirect your path because he's the author of your story. God can and will redirect your path because he is the author of your story. I see some heads nodding in the room, which I would assume would be a testament to the truth of this statement, that God can and God will redirect your path because he is the author of your story. In fact, if God has not redirected your path at some point in this life, chances are he's going to do that soon because this is one of the ways that God works. He redirects our path. Why does he redirect our path? Because he's in charge, because he's sovereign, because he's good, and because he sees all of the minute details that you may not be able to see. Well, Pastor Jason, how should I respond to that? How should I respond to Jesus redirecting my path, or how should I respond to these moments where the Holy Spirit puts up a wall, be it, you know, figuratively or literally or whatever the case might be, this moment where I know that God is saying, no, you need to go another path. How should I respond to that? Well, it depends, because if you want to follow God's plan, if you want to grow in God's purposes for your life, then when there's a wall that comes into your life, it would be really smart of you to say, I'm going to turn and go the other direction. God has made it clear through his word, through the affirmation of another person, or maybe through the Holy Spirit, or through whatever means God may have worked in your life to show you that. If God's saying, I don't want you to go this direction, and you want to live for God's purpose, then turn and go a different direction. What do we like to do sometimes, though? God brings a wall. God makes it clear. And what do I do? I go and find my toolbox, and you know, a hammer. <laughs> that wasn't working, that working, sledgehammer, that didn't work, you know, I go to Sunbelt Rentals, jackhammer, because what, I had a plan, I had a path, and God, you're sending me a different direction, how could you do that, see, those actions will not lead me to better understanding my purpose, they will lead me, though, to thinking that I'm in charge, and that I know better than what God knows. Some of you are here today for this exact reason. I believe that some of us are here today because God wants us to hear this. God has made something so abundantly clear to some of us. We're just waiting on him to give us an answer that we like better. God's made it so abundantly clear to some of us, go this way, don't go this way, do this, don't do this. And we're sitting here saying, I heard you, God. But I'm going to give it another round of walk around the block because I didn't really like the answer that I got. And perhaps, though, we need to rest in this truth that God can and will redirect your path because he's the author of the story. Look at what happens here. This is really cool. Look at verse 8. So what do they do? They pass by Mijah, and they do not go. They follow the Lord's guidance. They see the wall. They see the sign. And during the night, it says in verse 9, Paul had a vision saying, come to Macedonia. Ding, ding, ding. And the winner is Paul and companions. Because what happens in Macedonia? They get to Macedonia, and Paul would have missed these moments. In fact, everything that happens in the end of Acts chapter 16, which we're going to look at here in just a moment, would have been missed had Paul not looked at the signs 
and followed the closed doors and walked in other directions. See, when you and I take matters into our own hands, I believe that we miss sometimes something better that God has for us. Even when we're in our, following our own path, it's not that it's going to be a bad plan, but it's likely that we might miss something better because we're following our agenda opposed to his. Continuing on, uh, verses 11 through 18, I'm going to sum up for you um, just quickly. What happens is Paul and his companions, they set sail, and they arrive and, in Macedonia, and they meet um, Lydia, it says in verses 13 and 14, um, they meet Lydia, and her heart was opened to God, uh, and they have amazing gospel conversations. In verse 15, all of the members of Lydia's household were baptized. See, God had a purpose for the redirection, because now families are coming to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of that redirection. And then in verses 16 through 18, they encounter a fortune teller. And this fortune teller begins following Paul and companions. And after a few days of her walking behind them, and evidently her shouting was becoming very annoying to Paul and companions, what do they do? They turn around and they say, you have a demon possession. You know, you're, you're possessed. So I'm going to cast that uh, you know, cast the, the evil spirit out of you. And upon doing that, she was no longer able to be a fortune teller. But see, as a fortune teller, she was making money. She was making money for her owners. And so the owners see that now they no longer have a source of income from this fortune teller who has now been in direct opposition, the spirit of the Lord and the evil spirit. And the spirit of the Lord has cast out this evil spirit from this fortune teller. She can't do her job anymore. And so, as you can imagine, the owners of the fortune teller are very upset about that. And that's where we pick up in verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And they brought them before the magistrates and they said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Wow, this escalated very quickly, didn't it? They're in the city center. And the owners of this fortune teller who can no longer make money say, we've got to stop this. They have now entered the city and they're here and they're spreading a terrible message. And the city went in an uproar. In fact, this mob mentality takes over and they drag Paul and Silas into the middle of the city and they flog them and they beat them. Not only do they do that, but they take them to the magistrates and they try them unjustly and they're thrown in prison. And Upon being thrown in prison, they're not just in any prison. It says that they're in the inner part of the prison. It's almost like you can imagine solitary confinement where the worst of the worst would go. And their feet are shackled. And their trajectory has changed very drastically. But I thought you said, Pastor Jason, that God had a purpose for their redirection. He did. He had a purpose. So you mean that if God closes one door, the other door that he opens may be more challenging than the door he closed? Not my words. God's words. Sometimes when God redirects our path, it doesn't mean that he's opening a door that's going to be easier. 
Sometimes the door that he opens may even be more challenging than one that we pass. That doesn't mean that God's not in the midst of that redirection. That doesn't mean that God's not in the midst of that specific moment. I want you to see this big idea before we finish this story. You see it here on the screen. God wastes no circumstances. God wastes no circumstance. There's no circumstance in your life that's ever going to be lost by God. It's never going to be wasteful. In fact, it's a key to living a life on purpose. There's no circumstance that you're currently experiencing that God is not going to use if you would allow him to. There's no challenge that you have gone through or that you will ever go through, including COVID-19, that God will not use. It will not be wasted. God will use it. Have you ever gone through a difficult season and seen God do something as a result of a difficult season? Have you ever gone through an adversity and seen God do something in the midst of the adversity? Of course you have. What makes you think he's going to stop working that way? Maybe it's a storm that you have encountered. Maybe it's a loss. Maybe it's something that you're grieving right now. Maybe it's something that's just not happened in your life and you thought it would have happened right now. Maybe it's um, been a job loss. Maybe it was cancer. Maybe it was being falsely accused of something that you didn't do. Maybe it's somebody not understanding your motivation. Maybe it's being looked over for a job that you really deserve. The list could go on and on and on. I want to remind you, church, that God is not wasting one second of that. He is not wasting any of those circumstances because we see right here in this story of Paul and Timothy and Silas and all of their companions that God was not absent in this moment. God was not absent with them in prison. God was not absent when they were redirected. God was not absent in this blinding moment that Saul had. God was not absent in the challenge. God was not absent in the adversity. And none of those circumstances were wasted. God was working in and through them. And I want you to see how Paul and Silas respond. And it gives us great insight to how you and I should respond when we're in challenges. Look at verse 25. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and all at once the doors flew open and everyone's chains were loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at the hour of the night, the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. See, there was a bad circumstance. And what do Paul and Silas start doing? They start praying. They start praising. A violent earthquake happens. A foundation of the prison is shaken. The prison doors fling wide. The shackles fell off people. This is a big earthquake. This is God showing up very powerfully, very mightily. The shackles fall. The prisoners are free to go, but they don't leave. In fact, Paul yells to the prison guard, we are all here. 
I just took attendance. We're all still here. We're all still here. And what impact does that have on the prison guard? He comes and it says that he finds Paul and he says, Thirst, what must I do to be saved? They share the gospel with him. He's saved. His whole household is saved and baptized. Don't tell me that God wastes circumstances. No, God uses circumstances to help us to understand how to live a life on purpose, to live a life of meaning. So I want you this morning to ask yourself a couple questions. Ask yourself a couple questions. If this is how I want to live my life, then there's some, some metrics that we need to look at. And there's some things that, that I would encourage you and that I'm certainly encouraging myself to look at. First of which, and you see it here on the screen, is what could happen in my life if my immediate response to adversity was praise? What could happen in my life if my immediate response to adversity was praise? See, it says in verse 25 that others were watching because they knew that Paul and Silas didn't technically deserve to be there, but in the midst of them not deserving to be there, they're singing to the top of their lungs a hymn of praise back to God. See, when you face adversity, do you look down or do you look up? In the midst of this COVID-19 season, which, again, I say it almost every week, has been truly unprecedented. I, I saw somebody post a picture the other day that says, I'm ready for precedented. I am too. You know, who's not ready for precedented? Now, let's bring back the precedented times. But in the midst of this season, are you looking at the problem or are you praising? What about the tough decisions that parents have had to make? My wife and I are parents. We have kids in the school system. It's been some tough decisions. Grandparents are making tough decisions. People are trying to figure out things that are nuanced and complicated and not easy. Some of you are trying to figure out what's work going to look like and am I going to be able to go back to work and they're wanting me to not work at home anymore. I mean, all those things, so many variables and there's not an easy solution. But in the midst of all of that, my question to you is in the midst of any challenge is your immediate response to bemoan the problem or to praise God. Because in the midst of challenges, if our immediate response is to praise, then we're increasing the likelihood that joy will take over in our life. Maybe you've noticed this in this season, but it seems like that we're in a season right now where a lot of our joy has been robbed. It's been, it's been um, maybe somewhat elusive, and, I, and, I, and maybe we're trying to find it, but it doesn't have to be that way. Because Paul and Silas's joy was obviously not robbed, so much so that they could bring a praise, bring praises back to Jesus, and people were watching, so much so that the prison guard said, okay, you guys were free to go, you didn't leave. In my words, he's saying, there must be something to this. Please tell me more. And the same thing will happen in your life. When in the midst of challenge you praise, people will come to you. And they may not say it this precise way, but they will wonder, how are you able to do that? And you, all of a sudden you begin to understand God was working in the redirect. God was working in the circumstance. God was working in the detour. And ultimately to live a life on purpose, our eyes have to be fixed on him. So my final question for you today is, are your eyes fixed on Jesus or are they fixed on something else? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus or are they fixed on something else? 
Because, see, if they're not fixed on Jesus, you'll never fully understand your purpose. I've tried. It doesn't work. Some of you have tried. And you could come up here and grab a microphone, we'll sanitize it, and you could say, it doesn't work. When our eyes are on anything but Jesus, we will miss something about his purpose and his plan. So in fact, I want you to just um, imagine today uh, this moment. We're going to close today. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I want us to just have a moment of response that, um, that simply looks like writing yourself into the story. I want you to write yourself into this story um, as a matter of fact. Imagine, if you will, that um, you're one of these prisoners and you see Paul and you see Silas and, and you see the situation that they are in. You realize that they have been um, unjustly treated. They were seeking to follow God's plan and, and, and you're watching and, and you're seeing what's happening. And keep in mind, uh, a prison in this day um, was very different than a mental image that we may have of a prison. Most of the prisons of this day and age looked a lot more like a hole in the ground (laughs) than they did a structure. And so this is, in some ways, lowest of the low. Adversity, challenge, difficulty. But it says that in the midst of all of that, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God. And maybe, maybe it sounded uh, a little bit like this when Paul started to sing. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. says that others were watching others were watching and maybe Silas started joining in with a little harmony a praise to God Jesus Jesus how I trust Jesus, Jesus, how I trust. 
And then it said that the foundations of the building were shaken, the shackles were broken, and people began to see Jesus is real. He is here in this prison. He is here in this moment. So why don't you stand with us today and let's sing this song because we are free in him. I pray that you experience that freedom in him and him alone today. I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Precious Jesus, never fully understand our purpose if our eyes are anywhere but Jesus. You just won't. You will never fully understand the life of purpose that Jesus has for you if you look for that purpose in anywhere but him. And so I pray that today your eyes will not be on the adversity, that your eyes will not be on the challenge, that your eyes will not be on the struggle, but that they will be on him that you will go out of these doors today and that every person that you come in contact with today would be reminded to where their eyes should be set as well and to where they should be gazing. I pray that these words would ring true, that we would leave this place today and be able to say, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. How I need you more and more. these words give you the strength that you need today to live the life of purpose that he has for you. I'm so grateful that each and every one of you have been here with us today. And I pray the richest prayers of blessing over you as you go be the church this very Sunday. Thank you so much for being here. You can consider yourself dismissed and we'll see you right back here next Sunday.